Wow. I don't know about you, but it seems like we could pronounce a benediction. We've been in the Lord's presence this morning, haven't we? <clears throat> I really sensed that these weren't just uh, words of songs and the like, but uh, that you were worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth. That's what it's about. That is so important. And you are blessed, church family here at Freedom Fellowship, uh, to have a pastor like Landon Churchill, his wife Sonny here in this fellowship. And I think you were aware of that, and we're so thankful to have his acquaintance and to, to know Landon over the years. And he's asked me to continue in this portion where you have been going, and uh, we'll notice that uh, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, now for the matters you wrote about. Uh, <clears throat> the church at Corinth, as you probably have already surmised, was a very mixed up, was a very messed up church. Corinth was a seaport city. And uh, those that might have been in the Navy or the like used to probably be aware that seaports were known for their places of promiscuous living and all of this. And Corinth was not exempt. Corinth had a lot of mess up, even as uh, you've already covered back in chapter um, 4 and 5. And I'll notice here that uh, the Apostle Paul is saying, it is good for a man not to marry. Now that sounds very strange, doesn't it? <laughs> but let's just follow through. But since there is so much immorality, and I was listening to Pastor Churchill's message from two or three weeks ago, and he made a quote that kind of shook me up, but I, I know it's no doubt true, that the pornography industry is, makes more money than all of the sports combined. My, my, my. You think athletes and sports make a lot, but the pornographic situation is epidemic. And you know, truthfully, even in God's family, and no doubt even in this assembly here today, there's some of you that struggle, some with pornography. It's a terrible curse. And so the Apostle Paul says here, since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty 
to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourself to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that gift. And the Apostle Paul, as perhaps some here today are, was gifted with a gift of singleness. He's quite content and quite blessed to be able to serve the Lord as a single individual. And I want to mention this. Uh, There's very probably some here that are quite content to be single. And God bless you. You have a great ministry, and you're blessed to be able to serve God wholeheartedly, contentedly, as a single individual. You're not second class because you're not married or the like. And the Apostle Paul is under, underlying that fact. But I dare say that many of us are gifted differently. I am, for example, for 62 years, I've been married to my dear wife, June, and uh, I, wanted, I wanted to bring this little pin cushion along to just as an as a, uh, object lesson of before I proposed to June, Back in 1958, um, we were going to school in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I came up to see her. Her home is Greenwood, Wisconsin. And at Christmas time, I brought her this little, it's a pin cushion that has a measuring tape. <laughs> I got it at the dime store for 29 cents. And I gave it to her for a Christmas present. I think maybe she was a little disappointed. (laughs) But then I gave her an engagement ring, which she accepted. And that seemed to make it up a little better. (laughs) But uh, I can certainly say, and and it hasn't been, our, our marriage hasn't always been perfect. And it isn't perfect now. But God has definitely blessed me with a dear, faithful wife. And uh, I think many of you are blessed as well with a marriage that God meant to be a blessing to you. 
And notice he's very plain here. Uh, he doesn't pull any punches with the uh, Corinthian people. He's telling them that they are to recognize the marital rights of their spouse. They're to meet the needs, the sexual needs of their spouse. He puts it quite bluntly. And I'm so glad for that. He makes, puts it where the leather meets the road. And he tells them that uh, they don't belong to themselves, they belong to their spouse. And they are to be faithful. And I think uh, we don't go into this to a great degree, but we see here that in the scriptures, God intends for the sexual needs of a person to be fulfilled in the marriage of one man to one woman for life. That's God's pattern. And it's a beautiful thing. And uh, he's saying here that there would be times, and I think there's always some times in marriage and the like where maybe because of sickness, maybe because as this instance he mentioned, he says, for a time of prayer, they set apart and don't fulfill their sexual needs because they're giving themselves wholly to the Lord in prayer. But even that, notice what he says here. Even in that, he says that uh, they should come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So we see that we are gifted. Whether you're gifted with singleness, God bless you. Don't let anybody look down upon you. If God has gifted you in that way and you're able to uh, honor and glorify him in a satisfied way as a single person. The Apostle Paul. Apparently the Apostle Paul had been married at one time. I can't, I can't uh, completely guarantee that, but he was a member of the Sanhedrin. And one of the requirements was of that, that, he, that they had been married. And apparently either his wife had died or something. So as the Apostle Paul, he was operating as a single individual. So he was gifted in that way, and he glorifies this gift of singleness. And... Then he, was, he goes on to practical problems that come up. He says there in verse 12 um, that we do not use this right. Whoops, I'm in the wrong chapter here. I'll get back to where I'm supposed to be here. All right. In, uh, in verse 8, he says, Now to the unmarried, this would be the widows, divorcees, 
The unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. You know, I pastored a black church at one time, and there was a philosophy going around among the blacks and the like. If you weren't going to have sex, you are going to go crazy. Uh, that's a lie from Satan. God can satisfy the needs of an individual. And uh, yet, God wants to use the avenue of marriage to be that blessing uh, to you. But he says here, To the unmarried and widows, it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Don't you love the way the Bible is just down to where we live? So he's saying here, be real. If you're gifted and can stay in the area, widows, divorcees, of singleness, do it for God's glory. But I'm not going to go into this, but you know, in Timothy, the Bible mentions the time would come when people would forbid marriage. And I think one of the problems in the Roman Catholic Church is the problem of they forbid marriage to their clergy that God hasn't gifted necessarily with singleness. And they've suffered some sad consequences from this. But here we see then that he is saying that uh, if they cannot control their passions, it is best to go ahead and marry. And then he says to the married, I give this command, not I but the Lord, a wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. In other words, he's saying that when you get saved and the like, and you're married, don't divorce your husband or your spouse. But if you do, know that you're either to be reconciled with that spouse or to remain single. So this is the um, direction from the Lord. To the rest, he says, I say this. I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. See, this is a question they brought up. Well, now that I got saved um, and my spouse is unsaved, what am I supposed to do? He says, don't divorce them if they are willing to live with you contentedly. Now, I kind of wish if you had questions on this, you would feel free to uh, bring 
bring questions up, but he's saying here that uh, if you've got an unsaved spouse and they're willing to live and, and go along with you as a Christian, do so. And then he says, the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through the believing husband. Otherwise, your children would, not, would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Isn't that an interesting concept? That the Apostle Paul says here that that unsaved spouse, they're set apart, and the word sanctified you know, we're told as Christians we're being sanctified, we're being separated and made more like the Lord. Well, he says there's a sense in which that unsaved spouse is set apart in a special way that God can get to them through their saved spouse. And uh, this also, says, enables their children to have a special end with God because they've got a parent that knows Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Do you see what it's saying there? So um, you should be glad if you're married to an unsaved uh, spouse that they're willing to stay with you because that gives you and in that you might be able to witness to them, you might be able to see them come to Christ, and your children um, may have an end with the Lord because you are able to train and to teach them in the Lord. But notice now what he goes ahead to say. Um, and it doesn't guarantee um, that that spouse is going to come to Christ. God doesn't put our hands behind our back and, and make us do that, but he says they may, uh, as a result, turn uh, to the Lord. Nevertheless, verse 17, each one of you should retain the place in life that the Lord has assigned to them. I'm sorry, I, I, I left back Verse 15, it says, But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. That's a hard one. I've had a, I have a granddaughter that got married about 10 years ago. And she has done everything she can. He claimed to be, and at the time they got married, uh, claimed to be, a believer and the like, but he is totally turned away from the things of God and wants nothing to do with it. And even now, he's, he's living out in left field, you could say, doing drugs and um, involved with other women. And she has bent over backwards to try to get him back, and he refuses and refuses. And so finally... She's come to say, I have to let him go. And I remember a dear, dear Christian lady 
back in the Chattanooga area where we used to live, whose husband was an unbeliever, and she refused to let him divorce her. She wouldn't let him go. And he continued to live with his girlfriend and so forth, but she wouldn't divorce him. And it ended up in just a sad heartache. The scriptures here says, let them go. If they're determined to not live with that believer, let them go. They're not under bondage in that case. And in that case, beloved, listen, if you happen to be in that case where your spouse has abandoned you because you're a believer, then you are not under obligation. Um, you would actually be permitted to marry another, but you were abandoned. And, uh, you know, mainly, scriptures are very clear. You shouldn't divorce a person unless it's because of adultery. But this is the second condition here where a spouse abandons um, their partner because of, of this. Now, <clears throat> then we'll notice that uh, starting in verse um, 17, he, he's talking there about in the station where you're found when you, when you come to the Lord, um, just because you come to the Lord, some circumstances you won't, will not change in your life. They'll still be the same. The Lord does make a radical difference in our lives whenever we come to him. Isn't that right? But uh, there's some things, the job where you're working, the people that you're with. He says, don't seek to change that. And even uh, back in Bible days, I think it was about one out of every two people were slaves to the Roman government. And he told them at this time they weren't to abandon their masters and say they were no longer uh, under them and the like because they've come to Christ. They were to stay faithful in the, in the place where the Lord uh, had called them. But you'll notice there he indicates then that uh, in verse 25, now about virgins... I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Don't seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you're not, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But this, those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. Now, I'm not exactly sure what the present crisis in verse 26 is. Um, maybe the persecution's a part of the situation 
that the, the people were facing there. He says, because of this present crisis, it's best not to go ahead and marry. He says, don't you like the way he puts it? He doesn't put him under a straitjacket, but he says, if you do marry, it's okay. <laughs> it's all right. So part of this could refer to um, a father whose daughter is a virgin and the like and wants to get married or doesn't know uh, this is the uh, direction give to, given to them or to just an individual that is uh, a virgin that has not um, in a sexual relationship. One of the things that I'm sure Pastor Landon shares with me, so many people that come to get married, they're already living together. And that's so sad. That is not God's plan. That's not God's best. Dare to do things God's way. Of course, we've all messed up in times, some ways, and so it's best to uh, keep these areas uh, right in our life. And then he goes ahead to say here, um, I would like for you to be, no, I'm sorry, in verse 29. What I mean, brethren, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as though they had none, those who mourn as though they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. Have you ever seen the little statement that says um, that uh, uh, life is only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Now marriage is a blessing. I would say, and I'm sure that many of you would testify to that, but life is more than just the blessing of our marriage. God has deep purposes, even beyond our marriage, that we need to concentrate, keep our priorities. We're in a love relationship with Jesus Christ, are we not? And so don't lose sight of the fact. In your marriage, yes, you need to be faithful. You need to be consistent. You need to be concerned about the well-being of your spouse. But keep before you the fact we've got a love relationship with Christ that we need to keep our priorities in case with, uh, in line with him. And then he goes ahead to say here, starting in verse 36, if anyone thinks that he is acting improperly towards the virgin he is engaged to, or if she is... Uh, being along in the years and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then... 
He who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry does even better. A man is bound to her husband as long as he lives. In other words, marriage is meant for, for a lifetime. Uh, but it says, if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of the Lord. Now, did you notice here that he's saying that uh, if the individual intends to get married, and God doesn't put us under a straitjacket, does he? He doesn't leave us with, we have to do just rigidly this or that. Within the guidelines, he says, but, he says, marry only in the Lord. Don't be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. Now, I hope Paul's directions here have maybe clarified a few things in your own thinking. I have an, an illustration I wanted to close with, but I wanted to um, leave it open to you if you wanted to, to bring up what if. <laughs> uh, not that I have all the answers. I certainly don't. There's a lot of complex situations. We are complex individuals, aren't we? Anybody have something they wanted to throw out about this? Yes. I'm new here. I'm sorry. My name's Ed, but I'm living in the middle of this chapter right now. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. I'm just in awe of, quite honestly, at the higher level, how this speaks to us. Amen. This message, and it's applicable. And I didn't read a page in the Bible until I was four to seven years old. Sure. Catholic Church, and once I started reading it, uh, I couldn't get enough, and I can't get enough. Amen. And ironically, that's what's putting me in the middle of this chapter right now, because I'm being dismissed for it, if you will. Yes. Persecution in your own home, I guess it's called. Sure, but sure. It's it's a sad situation, not to air the dirty laundry here, of course, but uh, I'm just thankful for the word. Thank you for sharing it. And I, I mean, is it is it not... Amen. When I was in Bible school, there was an old uh, brother, Dr. Charles Weigel, who wrote the song, No One Ever Cared For Me Like Jesus. I see some of you shaking your head. A few of you have been around long enough to know that great old hymn. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus since I found in him a friend so strong and true. I'd tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something that no other friend could do. Dr. Charles Weigel was an evangelist. But he had the terrible thing to happen to him as an evangelist. His wife decided that being married to evangelists was too hard for her. She did not want it anymore. 
And so she left him, and it broke his heart. And Dr. Weigel lived in Florida at the time, and he went out on the pier, and it was as though the waters of the ocean were saying to him, why don't you take your own life? You can't even win your wife for Christ to live for him. And the word, the thought came to him at that time. But no one ever cared for me like Jesus. And that kept him from jumping off. And a few nights later, he was dreaming, and this incident came to him. And he got up then and wrote the words to the song, I'd love to tell you what I think of Jesus, how he saved me and did something no other friend could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. And beloved, I think that's what we need to keep before us as believers. We do need to highly prize and exalt our spouse, but keep the priority and the, re re the realization that Jesus himself took hell to bring us to himself in a love relationship. And again and again, the scripture says, if any man doesn't love the Lord Jesus, let him be anathema, maranatha. The Lord's coming back. And we know that the, the um, church at Ephesus had a sad indictment. They left their first love. How's your love relationship today? Do you love the Lord with all your heart? And hopefully, these struggles and these difficulties with our hormones and with our actual needs are being met in the way God designed and ordained them to be for us. But let him be Lord in your life. Let's bow in prayer. Our Lord, we want to say thank you that you stepped into our world with all of our mess, with all of our mix-ups, with all of our selfishness. And you came and was willing to take our curse upon yourself and die in our place. And thank you, Lord, that you conquered death. You rose again. And you daily seek to draw us close to yourself through this time. I pray if there's one that's here today that has never come and bowed their knee to you, that they would Say, Lord, I know I have gone astray. I know I've sinned, and I come and trust you as my Lord and Savior. And Lord, we do pray for every marriage that is represented here today, 
that you would bless and keep them and enable them, Lord, not just to be great lovers, but to be great forgivers. To be able to weather storms of difficulty that comes to every marriage. And then we pray for the divorcees, Lord. We pray for the uh, widows. We pray, Father, for those that are single and and we pray that you would specially bless those that are contented in their singleness, that you would encourage their hearts, but those that are struggling. Thank you, Lord, that your ways are higher than ours and that you can see us through these difficult times, even as the Corinthians did. We love you and praise you and thank you, Lord, in Jesus' worthy name. Amen.